Welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be looking at episode 614, entitled The Candidate. This is the 117th episode of the series, and there are four to go. And once again, a clarification as to what that means exactly. Yes, there are four episodes of the series left to go. Uh, This podcast will be going on a bit past that. Uh, in order, if nothing else, to get to the uh, the conclusion date of 8.15, August 15th. Uh, What will happen between the end, part two, and the end of the podcast? Well, it's going to go something like this. There'll be one episode, perhaps before the the series finale, before the end, part one and two. But there'll be one episode, possibly two, where I will discuss the music of of the show. That with my uh, friend and podcasting compatriot, Pete who, of course, many of you know from the PH Geek Pop Culture Podcast and our upcoming uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast that we are doing uh, for that show that will be on ABC in the fall. Uh, So we'll discuss the music for that, as I said, in episode or two. Um, uh, Another episode in the mix will be discussing the the new man in charge, that DVD-only epilogue. Uh, And then Pete and I will talk again Pete, of course, the, the former journalist, as listeners of the PH Geek Pop Culture Podcast know. And uh, I, I've asked him, you know, let's sit down and kind of do uh, kind of the exit interview for Looking Back at Lost. You know, he's he's a Lost fan. He's a listener of the podcast. And, uh, you know, just kind of have an opportunity there for, uh, for my own epilogue, if you will. Uh, if we get two music episodes, then we would combine New Man in Charge and... Uh, and uh, the exit interview, and uh, if we just have one, then uh, we would, would keep New Man in Charge and the exit interview separate. So, with all of that in mind, with the, the mentioning of the PH Geek Pop Culture Podcast at phgeekpodcast.blogspot.com, the Shield Podcast, shieldpodcast.blogspot.com, with your knowledge, dear listeners, you can hear some of these other projects by searching for PH Geek on iTunes and finding some of those uh, some of those great listening goodies. Let me remind you that you can share your thoughts about this podcast by saying hello to me on Twitter, where I'm looking back lost, sending an email to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com, leaving a comment on the webpage, lookingbackatlost.podbean.com, and calling the listener line 732-707-1815. I do want to stress, if you are listening to this at some point in the future... If you're listening to it after 8 15 2013 that twitter is my you know kind of ha- has become my personal twitter there's no reason that the email the web page and the listener line won't uh, continue to be 
working ad infinitum. Uh, I suppose on the listener line end, if you know Google Voice changes their policy or something that could go away, but certainly the you know the email, the web page will always be out there, and uh, you can always say hello and share your thoughts. So with that, with that big introduction out of the way, let's now talk about tonight's episode, 614, The Candidate. In the 2004 Flash Sideways timeline, after being successfully operated on by Jack Shepard, John Locke awakens in the hospital. Jack tells Locke that he may be a candidate for a new surgical treatment to repair his pre-existing paralysis and asks Locke how he wound up in his paraplegic state. However, Locke declines the offer. In order to find out more about Locke's paralysis, Jack visits dentist Bernard Nadler and asks for the dental records from an emergency oral surgery performed on Locke about three years previous. Bernard refuses to breach confidentiality, but tells him that a man named Anthony Cooper was brought in along with Locke three years ago. Jack goes to a nursing home and visits Anthony Cooper, who is Locke's father, and is in a vegetative state. Claire Littleton arrives at the hospital to see Jack. She shows Jack a music box that their father said he especially wanted her to have. Jack then invites Claire to come and stay at his house, stating to Claire that they are not strangers, but rather family. As Locke is preparing to leave the hospital, Jack approaches him and tells him that he went to see Locke's father so that he could find out why he doesn't want the surgery. Locke reveals to Jack that the accident that made him paralyzed was a plane crash. He had just qualified for his pilot's license and his father was his first passenger. Jack tells Locke his father is gone and that punishing himself won't bring him back. Locke still refuses Jack's offer and leaves. In the 2007 original timeline, Following the events of The Last Recruit, Jack awakens on Hydra Island with Saeed by his side. The man in black arrives and tells him that Sawyer, Claire, Kate, Frank, Hurley, Son, and Jin have been taken prisoner by Charles Widmore. The man in black plans to help them escape, run for the Ajira plane, and leave the island before Widmore knows what's happening. While Jack agrees to help, he insists that he himself will not leave the island. At Hydra Station, Widmore has Sawyer's group thrown inside the animal cages. Saeed turns off the camp's generator, bringing down the sonar fences which had been keeping the Man in Black at bay. The Man in Black then attacks as the smoke monster, allowing Jack to free Sawyer's group. After reuniting with Saeed, they head into the jungle to find the Ajira plane. The Man in Black arrives at the plane site before the group and inspects the interior of the plane after killing Widmore's guards. The Man in Black reveals to the group that Widmore had rigged the plane with C4. Unable to take the risk of using the plane, the Man in Black decides to escape using Widmore's submarine. As they head to the docks, Sawyer asks Jack to stop the Man in Black from getting aboard the sub. At the docks, the survivors manage to board the submarine while Widmore's men attack from the jungle. Kate is shot in the ensuing gunfight, but Jack manages to get her on board after pushing the Man in Black into the water. He gets back out of the water and begins to shoot down the last of Widmore's men. In order to prevent the Man in Black from entering, Sawyer has the sub take off without Claire. On the sub, Jack discovers the Man in Black has planted the C4 in his bag and has set a timer to detonate. Unable to reach the surface in time, Sawyer attempts to defuse the bomb. However, Jack tells Sawyer to let the timer reach zero, believing that nothing will happen to them because the Man in Black is unable to kill them himself. Jack theorizes that the Man in Black united the candidates because he needed them all dead in order to leave the island and has come up with a plan that will trick them into killing one another by mistrusting each other. 
Sawyer is unconvinced and pulls the bomb's wires, causing the speed of the bomb's countdown to accelerate. Saeed tells Jack where to find Desmond and runs to the back of the sub with the bomb. The bomb detonates, killing Saeed and causing a massive explosion that proceeds to flood the sub. Frank is knocked out by a door as it gives way to the water. Sun is pinned down by fragments of the submarine. Hurley exits with a wounded Kate, while Jin, Sawyer, and Jack try to help Sun. After Sawyer is knocked unconscious, Jin convinces Jack to leave with Sawyer. Jin continues to try to free Sun, despite her pleas for him to go to no avail. He tells Sun that he won't leave her. They embrace as the water floods the submarine, drowning them while holding hands. Jack, Sawyer, Kate, and Hurley regroup at a nearby beach and mourn those who died. Meanwhile, at the docks, the man in black tells Claire that the sub has sunk and there are survivors. He then departs to finish what he started. And with that, let's now get into my thoughts about the episode. In this episode, I I feel like I've been wavering back and forth since I watched it. I'm not sure how I feel about it. There's so much action. There's so much payoff to a degree. But this, I I just felt that despite the gin and sun stuff, which is so wonderful... I felt like both the the Flash Sideways story and the Island story are resolving things, but not to completion. They are, oh, how do I put this? It's it's a strange episode in that it's it's almost holding time, or or, or preparing for the the final run, you know, preparing to get to the finale, but they're not quite there yet, and they need to kill a bunch of people to make the story easier or to to narrow down the list of candidates or that sort of thing um it's not a bad episode of course it's just it just seems a bit i don't know it's a bit it's a bit wavy it's a bit here and there but anyhow let's talk about it properly shall we the episode has a cold open with Locke waking up it is sideways lock post-surgery after desmond's car hit at this point there's a very uh, prescient and telling moment when Locke says he recognizes Jack because they're connected, uh, which sounds so impressive. But Jack then does some recap about Locke being hit by a car and surgery and all that. Uh, the episode gets a little teasy at this point when Jack says Locke is a candidate, a candidate for a new surgery technique. Get it? Because we know the episode's called The Candidate and the show is teasing us. Yeah. With that, there's a very nice moment, a really nice moment, where Helen comes in and is warm and enthusiastic and appreciative. And uh, it is, of course, always so nice to see Katie Seagal uh, in the show. With that, the sideways suddenly comes to an end as Island Jack wakes up in a boat. Now, I had wondered if this, too, was a bit of a tease, suggesting that the sideways world is a dream, suggesting that... uh, Jack waking up on the island is similar to when Desmond was electromagnetically zapped to the sideways. It is, of course, a false tease, as it turns out. This is not the case. But I wondered if perhaps that's what they were doing, just in terms of, you know, just trying to give you a little little something to chew on. Uh, there's a bit of dialogue from Saeed, who talks about having rowed Jack from uh, from the main island to Hydra Island. Then the story continues elsewhere on Hydra Island, where Sawyer and company are about to be put into those familiar bear cages. There's a fun little bit as uh, Sawyer steals the gun and puts it into the uh, doughboy guard's tummy. 
Widmore pulls a gun on Kate, and it turns out to be a very slick way to recap, because Widmore explains that he won't shoot Sawyer, Hurley, or the Quans because they're on the list. But Kate? Who cares? With that, Sawyer capitulates, and our heroes end up, indeed, in those familiar bear cages. Widmore demands for the fences to be up and operational ASAP, because, dramatic pause, he's coming. With that, we get the title card, then we're in Flash Sideways, with our old pal Bernard doing his dentistry. He's doing some toothy mold carving stuff. Not quite clear on what that is. I know it's kind of dentist-y. Uh, anyhow, Jack is there to learn more about Locke's injury from three years ago. And with that, the scene quickly turns from pedantic to magical. Um, he and I met about a week ago. We were on the same flight back from Australia. Oceanic A-15. I sat across the aisle from you. Memory serves you were uh, flirting with my wife Rose when I was in the bathroom. It's pretty weird, huh? Yeah. Maybe you're onto something here. Hmm? Now, I can't break patient confidentiality and tell you something I shouldn't. But I can tell you that when I treated Mr. Locke, there was another man in the same accident with him. Wait, that was three years ago. You just remember that? Of course I do, Jack. Anthony Cooper. Good luck, Doc. I'll be fine what you're looking for. You know, that scene got me to wondering if Bernard and Rose knew about the nature of the Flash Sideways all along, or at least since their Sideways introduction on 815. It certainly would be a profound moment for them. Uh, you know, that, that, that moment in 815 where we, uh, pardon me, in LAX when we first see them, uh, the, the profound idea of Bernard actually returning from the bathroom, something that he traumatically did not do in life. Um, I, you know, as I recall thinking ahead and after doing some digging around uh, on Lostpedia, I don't, you know, I, I don't think there's evidence to the contrary uh, of that, but it's certainly, uh, you know, if you're activated by love and you're with your loved one, um, at, or part, I mean, you know, again, there's this nature of the flash sideways. We don't know where it starts because it really doesn't exist um, in, in, in the way we understand time and place. But um, certainly, you know, for the Quans to be uh, reunited in emotional love, as will happen in future episodes, you know, and indeed, all, you know, all these pairs, whether it's, uh, you know, as I said, uh, emotional love, whether it's uh, romantic or platonic. Um, surely Bernard and Rose have experienced that for, you know, at the earliest point from all these, uh, you know, these various, uh, heroes of ours. Anyhow, with that, we, uh, we have the conclusion of the flash sideways and we're back to the Hydra beach where Saeed recaps last week's finale and explains it's just the three of them. Now there's a lot increasingly in these episodes there's more and more of that explanation of last week's episode i'm not quite sure why you know you're at a point where you're on every week you may or may not be doing a previously on lost this episode of course does not 
uh, I don't quite get, I don't quite get it. But anyhow, um, with the mentioning of there being just three left, Jack, Said, and Smokey Locke, who suddenly appears immediately and shockingly, Smokey Locke. Smokey spells out the plan, attack, and pronto. Jack's response is <sighs> to recap that he's not leaving the island. So why is he encouraged to help? Well, Giacchino really goes for the gusto here as Smokey explains that he could kill Jack and all his friends, or he couldn't if Jack plays nice. It is, of course, um, not true, but you know, a good lie never got in the way of the truth, did it? Um, with, with the music, though, I will say, the scene is tense enough without the music, and, and I'm not entirely sure if the show is overplaying it. I'm not sure if Chikino is maybe a bit too heavy-handed um, in this scene. But anyhow, with that, the story returns to the bear cages, where Sawyer amusingly ponders that it feels like they're running in circles. But there they are, back in the bear cages. Uh, then he tells Kate that Widmore was right. She isn't on the list because Sawyer has been to the cave O names and hers was crossed out. With that bit of ketchup, we go to the other cave, uh, cage, pardon me, not cave, uh, where Sun and Jin have a pleasant, loving moment. Actually, let me back up. I'm not... It's the geography of who's in what cage, multiple cages. It's a bit unclear. Certainly, it appears that they're in a different cage. Um... Anyhow, they have this pleasant, loving moment, which is also essentially recap, but with them it feels earned. That Jin has seen the baby and Sun has his ring, something that gets shared and interrupted right when the power goes out. By the way, there's an excellent uh, shot that the show gives us, a nice wide shot, not only of the lights going out, but of those sonic fence pylons in the shot as well. The implication, of course, being neither has power. With that, we hear the first cries of the smoke monster, and Hurley, rather amusingly, comments that they're all dead. I don't think it's meant to even be a little hint. I think it's just meant to be a kind of a fatalist and comedic moment. At that point, there's a high-energy but familiar-looking smoky attack. I had to wonder at this point, is the show running out of steam? No, but on a certain level, it is running out of some tricks. Think back to Smokey's limited reveal in season one, the, uh, the season one finale, when Smokey grabbed Locke. Bits and pieces could be seen, implied, not seen at all. Now, yawn, the bevy of Widmore goons just gets killed, thereby mirroring the Smokey goon reduction that Saeed told us about, so yay, we're still evenly matched. With that, our heroes are still in the bear cages, though unable to reach the dead goon's key or bust their way out. Then Jack shows up, saves the day, and says he's with Smokey to end the act. After the break, it's morning, and our heroes are a quarter mile from the plane when Jack reinforces again that he's not leaving the island. Okay, I guess this does serve as a, you know, as foreshadowing, since he really, really doesn't leave the island in that sense. Uh, anyhow, Saeed shows up and is revealed to be the one who shut down the power. With that, they're off to the waiting lock. It was at this point in the episode, too, that I had to say to myself, you know, there's so much action and there's not really a ton to ponder. Um, it's a curious, it's a curious 
point in the episode, as I said earlier, it's also just a curious episode where you have so much in so much that is resolved but not being concluded. I don't know if I said that exactly before, but that certainly is the feeling. Anyhow, uh, we head back to the sideways story where Jack is on the search for Anthony Cooper at a nursing home uh, that the home and Helen, who's there with flowers, are turning Jack away is all the more fun knowing for the you know knowing about the reveal that is ahead first though there's a bit of Jack really really saying that he's just gotta fix Locke then they're off to the communal area to see that awful irascible Anthony Cooper who turns out to be a vegetable and older than we remember him why is that well he has drool running down his lip and he's wearing uh, even older old man makeup. And it's it's definitely uh, it's executed to very, very effective effect. With that, we're at the plane where Smokey walks uh, on up to it while Widmore goons shoot and shoot and shoot. And, uh, of course, doing nothing as they shoot. They end up with a broken neck and a gunshot to the chest. Good times to be on Widmore's payroll, isn't it? By the way, that there is a lovely little bamboo walkway up to the plane was something that always struck me as a tad convenient and also a tad silly. Though, you know, it is needed for both story purposes and it would be a logically created thing. It just seems like it's just kind of so well-hewn and, you know, artfully created. You know, Widmore's guys sat around cutting bamboo and doing the diagonal and doing the stitching with vine and tying with vine and whatnot. Eh. Anyhow, from one of those dead goons, Smokey steals a watch. Definitely a clue that isn't meant to be a clue, but it sticks as a don't-forget-the-watch bit. Smokey finds odd wires inside the plane that look like what we know to be TV bomb wires. You know, the bomb wires they have on TV. And he fiddles around with... uh, in one of the luggage compartments, he finds something unseen, and then our heroes arrive at the plane to find bodies and... Only guarding the plane for show. If Charles had really wanted to keep me from actually getting on board, he wouldn't have moved his little fences. Well, wait, now he wants us to leave the island? No, Hugo, he wants to get us all in the same place at the same time. A nice, confined space we have no hope of getting out of. And then he wants to kill us. Kill us with what? With this. Four bricks of C4. I found them in one of the overhead compartments wired to the electrical system of the plane. If we would have turned it on... Boom. So what now? We can't be sure he didn't put more explosives on the plane. It's not safe. If we're going to leave the island... I think we have to take the submarine. To the show's credit, they've never been afraid to let Widmore pop back and forth between light and dark, between villain and hero of sorts. Here, it's obviously implied that he's in the former camp. I think you you would have a difficult time reading it any other way. Um, But anyhow, with the plane now not an option, they uh, talk about the attack on the sub. The act concludes with more spelling out of plans. Sawyer whispering to Jack that Smokey can't get on the sub and Jack needs to throw him in the water. Somehow. After the act break, 
We're back in the sideways where Jack is rather creepily hanging over a sleeping Locke. And Locke mumbles, push the button, and I wish you had believed in me. I wonder, do the dead dream about being alive again, perhaps? Anyhow, Jack looks quite confused. Then he sees Claire wandering around in the hospital. She's there to talk to him. He buys an Apollo bar. Ha ha. Then Claire talks about the music box that their dead father absolutely wanted her to have. The scene starts recappy. However, it builds and builds and builds. I have no idea. But then, <laughs> I didn't know about you either. Our father, uh, you, might, you mind if I ask how he died? He was found in an alley outside a bar in Sydney. He drank himself to death. I flew down to bring his body back, but then the, <laughs> the airline lost it. I just flew in from Sydney a few days ago. When? Uh, last Wednesday. Oceanic Flight 815? Uh, yeah. Do you mind if I have a look at that? Um, sure. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I wish I knew why he wanted you to have this. There's something so profoundly touching when the music box plays Catch a Falling Star. Something suggestive uh, that you know about the edges of this constructed reality. Perhaps they're starting to fall in on, on themselves slowly, very slowly, as these strangers start to re-know each other. Indeed, the scene ends with Jack inviting Claire to come stay with him, since they're family after all. The slow, mushy stuff done with, which... Not that I'm complaining, I rather like it, but the show kicks into action movie mode as Sawyer gives attack orders and they storm the sub, which appears to be unguarded as our heroes go straight across the dock, no problem. Once inside, they find the captain in about five seconds and Hero Team 2, Saeed, Kate, Jack, and Locke, Smokey Locke, storm the sub. But before that, Smokey does a really nice switcheroo of the two bags, again, like the watch, it's done in plain sight so that it's sticky enough for us to see, but not so obvious that the big clue is in our face. Jack, our stalwart hero, pushes Locke into the water. Then Widmore Team 2 comes and shoots Kate in the shoulder. A firefight ensues. A firefight where Jack stands in the middle of the dock, by the way, shooting a handgun while no one hits him. Anyway, our heroes... Minus Claire, get to the sub, and in a great bit of Smokey power, uh, Smokey hobbles out of the water, clearly weak or weakened. Uh, it's almost as though he can't um, operate the part of his body beneath the water. You know, it's like he's pulling himself up but can't use his legs to push up from the ground or, you know, the, underneath the water or to kick his legs to swim up or whatever. It's just kind of that he's, he's nothing almost in the water. Anyhow, as Widmore's people fire at him, he takes aim and hits one after another after another with each shot. O'Quinn's acting here is great, um, particularly as he misses the sub because Sawyer sees Smokey coming, seals the hatch. 
Aha. And the sub pulls out. Claire is left on the dock, uh, all but set to dive uh, in on after the sub. However, Smokey grabs her, pulling her back, ostensibly to safety, but more so, I think, the feeling is to keep uh, one little minion all to himself. At least that's how it's presented for first-time viewers. Obviously, he has a a suspicion about what's going to happen next on the sub. Uh, Indeed, we learned that in the capper of the scene. He tells Claire that she wouldn't want to be on that sub. He has a triumphant smile on his face, floating that idea that he has saved her. And that indeed is proven in the next scene on the sub, as Jack is looking for a clean shirt to tend to Kate's wounds and finds in his bag the C4 and watch on Countdown. The act ends with Jack noting that everyone did just as Locke wanted. Now, as a side note, I'm not quite sure how Smokey plans to get off the island on a working plane with no pilot. Um, I'm not quite sure what his plan is. However, to be fair, it is much more possible now than any time in the last 2,000 years, so perhaps he's not that worried about the particulars. I suppose it's also possible he's seen enough plane crashes that he's like, these plane things, they can't be that difficult to fly. Anyhow, after the break, there's a decent uh, exterior shot of the sub. By the way, something I always find kind of claustrophobic and scary, but that's my own weird thing. Um, what happens is a tense, if not familiar, type of scene with the beeping countdown and yelling and how did it get there, how can we turn it off, and so forth. And what kind of countdown, by the way? The sub will take longer to surface than the countdown allows, which I kind of thought that subs had emergency surface whatevers, you know, the emergency surface button. Um, maybe that's for more powerful subs than, you know, Widmore corporation can afford or that they've bought on the sly but they say it'll take four minutes to rise and they have like three and a quarter so okay anyhow with that the prospect of the countdown taking them out the manly men step up it's gonna be sorry these wires that leads from the watch if we disconnect them from the battery technically speaking the bomb should be inert technically yes but you need to pull them out simultaneously and i'm not sure step aside now wait, wait. What the hell are you doing, Doc? Nothing's gonna happen. What? Don't pull those wires out. We're okay. Nothing's gonna happen. If I don't pull these wires, Locke's gonna blow us to kingdom. No, Locke. he's not! Locke can't kill us. Uh, what? This is what he wanted. This is what he's been waiting for. Everything that he has done has been to get us here. He wanted to get us all in the same place at the same time. A nice enclosed space where we had no hopes of getting out of. I don't understand. Locke said that he can't leave the island without us. I think that he can't leave the island unless we're all dead. He told me that he could kill any one of us whenever he wanted. So what if he hasn't because he's... he's not allowed to? What if he's trying to get us to kill each other? Stay out of my way, Doc. No, if he wanted that thing to blow up, why would he put a timer in it? Why not just throw it inside? I don't care. Nothing is going to happen. It's not your decision to make. He can't kill us! I'm not going to stand here and do nothing! James. We are going to be okay. Just have to trust me. Sorry, Doc, I don't... That portion of the scene does give us, of course, a bit of exposition. Uh, However, also a moment of clarity from Jack. 
Jack, who is increasingly a man of faith, a man trying to tie into a deeper knowledge of the island. It really is a remarkable point for Jack, a remarkable point that he's reached. There's no medical text, no professor, no hands-on experience that can prepare him for the decisions that he's making in this scene. It truly is a case of faith. Of course, sometimes faith can be a bit misguided. Listen carefully. There's a well on the main island, half a mile south from the camp we just left. Desmond's inside it. Locke wants him dead, which means you're going to need him. Do you understand me? Why are you telling me this? Because it's going to be you, Jack. Saeed's death is so shocking, so out of the blue, that it almost borders on being unfeeling and harmless. Boone's death remains the one that hurt the most, by virtue of uh, the fact that the show hadn't killed anyone of note thus far. Indeed, it's so fast, Saeed's death is, and so without any sort of goodbye, aside from Saeed's mournful eyes, that you almost can't believe it. Perhaps the show is feeling its own sense of fatigue. Perhaps they took the route to be shocking and not foreshadow much. Perhaps they know we know that in the flash sideways no one dies, so Naveen Andrews won't be gone too long. I think it is worth just spending a moment, though, talking about Saeed's death. You know, there's there's been this um, wrestling that he's had his entire life of, of good and bad, light and dark, and... You know, the show certainly has exploited that, particularly in season six. He has the darkness growing in him and that sort of thing. Um, that he did not kill Desmond off screen uh, is not much of a surprise to us. But um, it certainly speaks, you know, Saeed goes out on his terms. Saeed goes out having done the right thing, not once but twice, having tried to hang on to his humanity desperately and having you know, achieved a true sense of um, you know, humanity and empathy for his fellow man uh, in his death. Anyhow, there is, of course, some dark icing to the cake right after Saeed's death. Lapidus stares at the wavering sub-door long enough for it to flip off and knock him out. Here, the trick is suggesting that his death uh, has happened in a similarly callous manner after having truly killed Saeed moments before. Yet, on the topic of earned deaths, one of the saddest of all is still ahead. After Jack sends Hurley and Kate to swim uh, up, Sawyer and Jack and Jin try to pull Sun out from behind the machinery that's pinned her. That is, of course, easy. But once Sawyer is knocked out cold and it's revealed that Sun is also pinned by twisted metal, it's at that point that things start to turn impossibly sad. <laughs> No! Save yourself! I'm going to get you out of here! Go! Go! I'll get her free! No! We can do this! Just go! Save Sawyer! Jen! Take this! I can get him out without it! No! 
You can't, Jack. Just go! As I've said in previous episodes, let's not forget that Sun and Jin were separated by water on the raft, then separated by water on the freighter, and this time they refused to be separated by water. This is also the moment where Jakino must play the scene, but first there are a few terrible shots. I don't mean that as a compliment at all of Jack swimming with Sawyer. The scenes are underlit and possibly murky. It's a far cry from when Charlie swam into the looking glass. Then, though, the time has come. I'm gonna get you out of here. I won't leave, Jin says. I'll never leave you again. I love you, son. I love you. show now allows for the heartbreaking passage of time, with shots of the sinking sub-exterior, shots of the flooded rooms, and their hands slipping away. It's a tremendously difficult scene to watch, but one that gives the characters a true arc. Let's not forget that they started life on the show bitterly fighting, cheating, ready to separate. However, On this island, in this place, it's here that they found true love, despite time apart, despite all the the risks to them, and it just ends on this terribly quiet and, and heartbreaking note. After that act break, I would argue that it's it's a rare time when the show would have played better with a true commercial break, which would give us a little time to wipe away our tears. Instead, the show now concludes uh, one act in black, then quickly resumes, without that commercial break, um, quickly resumes with Locke being discharged from the hospital, passing a bandaged gin, bringing flowers to his sweetie. It's a cheeky reminder from the show that dead isn't dead. With that, Locke wheels off, saying goodbye to Jack, who confesses to seeing Anthony Cooper. Uh, Speaking of cheeky, Locke admits that the injury that uh, put Locke in a wheelchair and vegetated his father was from a plane crash, namely a small plane which held him and his father, resulting, supposedly, in Locke's injury and Cooper's mental ruination. As a side note, I I would argue that, I mean, obviously these things in the flash sideways haven't, Know, haven't happened. Um, I wondered if perhaps, you know, if perhaps Locke, in to whatever degree one self-constructs in this in this place of the Flash Sideways, did he self-construct himself back into a wheelchair to capture the hopelessness that he felt at the worst part of his life, uh, and indeed the hopelessness that he felt um, at the end of his life when Ben killed him. 
similarly, if we can imagine that some of these people in the flash sideways aren't actually there, that they're just sort of, you know, mindless, uh, oh, reflections of memories, um, kind of it works out well that the, the, the ever self-punishing Locke can both have a relationship with his father in this place and also not have one. You know, it's, it's almost a way to say, well, you know, my father must have been a good man because I have done something to him, uh, as opposed to the, the, the very true nature of the opposite. Anyhow, uh, kind of adding to this, you know, this thinking about the nature of the Flash Sideways, it's interesting that Locke can't remember the particulars of why there was a crash. Um, it's it's from that dreamworthy section of the Flash Sideways world where we don't question due to a lack of details. We just accept them, just as in dream. Their conversation concludes with Jack wanting Locke's sense of faith in Jack, but not getting it. This heavy, heavy episode starts to conclude with Jack uh, pulling the live Sawyer onto the beach, the Flash Sideways now concluded, and coming across Hurley, who's done the same with Kate. <laughs> Though we might not have had time in the episode to mourn Jin and Son and Saeed too, here the show gives us that time, and, you know... It's Hurley breaking down that is particularly difficult to see. And I'd argue that that sense of empathy that we, the audience, have, it's exacerbated by Jack weeping at the water's edge, still needing his privacy, still needing to not let the other two weeping people uh, see his pain. That is, of course, no way to end an episode, is it? It's sunk. What, the submarine? But they, they were all on it, everyone. But the, they're all dead? Not all of them. Wait, where are you going? Finish what I started. So there it is, with the pizzazz of a lost ending. Smokey did plan on having someone, some force, kill the candidates because he cannot. And you know, it struck me as odd that the show would use that ending as a jumping off point for next week. Especially considering that next week's episode is the flashback across the sea. That said, with all of Smokey's machinations... Perhaps this is a good jumping-off point. Now that we know Smokey's intentions all along to kill the candidates, let's find out more about him. So with that, the episode is over. Although let's check Lostpedia for some bits and pieces, and there's uh, some good stuff, particularly I saved the best for last here. Uh, but here's the first one. This episode features three main cast deaths, the highest ever amount in any one episode, with, of course, Saeed, Sun, and Jin. This episode breaks the record of two deaths, Nikki and Paolo, in Exposé. Also, although Anna Lucia and Libby were both shot by Michael in Two for the Road, only Anna Lucia died immediately, while Libby died in the subsequent episode, question mark. 
Lostpedia also mentions that the deaths make season six the only season to kill off more than one original season one main character. Added to that, as of this episode, here's a good bit of trivia, there are more dead than living main characters. 17 of the 29 main characters are dead. The last bit here from Lostpedia notes that uh, in an interview a week after this episode, the producers claimed Jin had to make a quick decision regarding his future. Indeed, the question was in last week's episode, referring to this one, why didn't Sun tell Jin to leave her so he could raise her daughter? Lindelof's answer, I think, is spot on perfect. He says, that's a great question, and our only answer for it is that Sun only had about 30 seconds to process the fact that she was going to die. Sun and Jin never had a relationship together with that daughter. Sun had a, mo- uh, had a relationship with her, but Jin did not. She was just a picture on a phone to him. In that moment, she did not tell Jin to leave her side. Partially in that moment, maybe there was a part of her that wanted him to stay with her. Who knows? We're not really willing to say why characters don't say certain things in certain moments. Lindelof concludes, I think, perfectly here. All we can say is, she did not say that. We did not want that scene to be about their daughter. We wanted it to be about them reuniting. Which... It never struck me as uh, a concern that uh, their Ji Yan is, is out there in the real world being raised, presumably by grandma. Uh, I mean, perhaps that's callous on my part, but you know, the Sun and Jin connection is so wonderful and so strong that, that that's what the scene is about. The scene is about them you know, really coming together at that moment in a way that they had wanted to for so long. You know, let's not forget they were separated for three years and searching for each other. And only, oh, in the last you know, six hours or so reunited and they weren't going to let, you know, let go again. I think that there's something dramatically noble about that, even if you want to quibble about the real life nature of uh, you know, responsibility to the daughter. So that rather downer note, let's look ahead to next week. Next week is the the unequaled, the wonderful across the sea, uh, <laughs> one that you know an episode that is able to answer one of the earliest questions, and uh, one that I'm just thrilled, thrilled beyond belief to be uh, to be watching next week. So after that, obviously, what they died for the end part one, the end part two, somewhere along the way, Pete and I from the PH Geek Pop Culture Podcast will do a music episode. I will fly solo for the, uh, the new man in charge and then the exit interview conclusion of this podcast on 815 so with that friends thank you as always for listening it is uh, such a pleasure that we get to, to spend this time together each week and i will talk to you all again next week for 615 across the sea take care one and all and bye-bye Falling star and put it in your pocket. Now-